We're in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians is Paul, one of Paul's letters. He wrote around 61 AD when he was in prison in Rome. Um, and he, he, we know that he was in Rome. Philippians 1.13 actually alludes to the Praetorian Guard. And so um, him alluding to that tells us that he was in Rome. Philippians is such a wonderful letter. He, he, he uses this, Paul uses this to thank the church at Philippi for their help. They had been supporting him in, in a couple ways, prayerfully. They prayed for him and they gave him resources. They actually sent him at the end of Philippians 4. We're not going to get there. He actually talks about how they had given to him and because they had that he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we see that not only had they prayed for him, this church had sent him resources for his ministry. And so they they hold a pretty special place in his heart. So he begins this letter thanking the church. He shows his gratitude for their help. He then speaks about his imprisonment and how he's being used even in those circumstances. Even though he was in prison, how he was being used He goes on to write about humility, his example, and encourages the Philippians. Actually, he says to follow my example. That's pretty bold, right? He says, follow my example. In chapter 4, where we're going to spend our time this morning, Paul starts by giving his summary statement, therefore, and wraps up his letter with the idea of peace in the Christian life and the presence of Christ. But we're going to begin, actually, In chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to look at this last verse there in verse 20 and 21 to get a little context, but also because it's a great verse, right? It's a big encouragement. So we'll start in Philippians 3, verse 20. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven. This is a great reminder to us that our citizenship as believers is where? It's heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on earth. It's not tied up in a country, a city, a town. As believers, our citizenship is in heaven, and that's how we should view that, right? We should have that eternal perspective that that is our citizenship, not anything here, which should be tied up in heaven. Then it goes on and says, and we wait. We wait for what? We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. So we wait for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who will transform our body from this humble state. Humble why? Why would we say this humble state? Our body now is what? It is fleshly. It is dying, right? It is broken. That's the body we have now. He says this, our Savior is going to transform our body from this humble state to what? To conformity with the body of his glory. So we're waiting for our Savior to transform us from this humble state to the body that conforms to him. When does that happen? Anybody know what he's talking about here? 
You guys, you're not saying it, but you're pointing. Rapture? Yeah, this is a great encouragement here, right? We're waiting for him to transform us. We have this humble body, this humble state, this broken body, this imperfect body to one glory, a body of glory. And that will be in conformity with him. He says how, and then we, he explains how he can do this, how Jesus will do this by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. The exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. All things. That's great power, isn't it? So Jesus can do this because he is all-powerful. So that's a verse of encouragement to me. I think it probably anybody who reads that that can see that. It's an encouragement, right? We encouraged by that? I am. It's a great reminder and a great encouragement. So let's look on now to chapter 4. So that we see what he has just said at the end of chapter 3. We're going to go on. Therefore, okay, so we read all of what was said in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He says, stand firm in the Lord. And then he throws in this verses, verse 2 and 3 here. He says, I heard you, and I'm going to say these names wrong, I guarantee it. I heard you, Dodia, and, or Euodia, and someone else can say it, but Sintite, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul's asking the church to help them settle whatever's going on. There's some type of disagreement, something going on, and he's asking the church to help them settle this and live in harmony. It was enough of an issue, I think, that Paul directly addressed it here. Um, he says he, he takes time out of this end of this letter to mention it. We don't know any details other than what's said in this verse, which leads me to believe that the church must have been very aware of the issue, right? So whatever was going on, it was enough that all he has to do is mention by name, and everybody's like, ah, oh, yeah, we should probably take care of that, right? So something's going on, and he says, help them settle this. We need to live in harmony. So now we're going to get into the meat of the lesson this morning, which it starts in verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It says it twice, rejoice there, right? And do it always. Always rejoice in the Lord. It's very important. In verse 5, it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. It says, let your gentle spirit be made known. It says, be made known to who? Be made known to other believers? Say that again. Someone said it. All men, right? It does include believers. It includes unbelievers. It includes those people that you agree with. It includes those people you disagree with. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. And that word gentle, it's got an idea of, when you look up in the Greek, um, and a, I've got an app 
Bible Hub. It's a free app, so I can go in there and, and look at the Greek, the, the original language. I can just click on the words and see. It's got this idea of being a mild patient or moderation. Paul's telling these believers that they need to make sure they let their gentle spirit be known. Right? We are not to be harsh. We are not to be um, rude. We are not to be angry with people. We are not to come off as hot-tempered. We are called to let our gentle spirit be made known. This is what Paul is telling the church here in Philippi, and it's something that we as believers can take from it also. And why? He says, the Lord's near. He said, the Lord is near. goes on verse 6 and 7, and if you ever any type of Bible study here, this is some of our verses that we memorize in a lot of them. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It says, be anxious for nothing. The word anxious has this idea of overthinking and worry. It says, don't do that. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So don't be anxious. Instead, take your requests, your thoughts, your worries, your anxiety, your fears, your stress. Take that to God. Be anxious for nothing. The word supplication here in the Greek has an idea of a deep, heartfelt, personal need, right? When you're feeling anxious, when you're stressed out, there's this deep sense of need. He says, take that to God. And let's not forget the word thanksgiving that's here, right? It says, with thankfulness, with gratitude. And what's the result of doing this? The peace of God. The peace of God, the peace, quietness, rest, that peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. We can't understand it, right? It says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These two verses, 6 and 7, have so much practical application for us, especially for me. I, uh, If you'd ask my family and my wife, anybody who knows me, I have a history of being a pretty anxious person at some times, right? I can, I'm a worrier. I won't tell you where I get that from, but <laughs> I have a tendency to worry about things. And in those times of anxiety, I've learned to repeat this verse to myself. Be anxious for nothing, right? Take it to God. And in those times, I very quickly am reminded that there's something I'm not trusting God with. If I'm this anxious about it, I'm a little too worried about what I can do. And how I'm going to accomplish something instead of giving it to God and understanding that his perfect will will be done. And I don't need to stress about it. Right? As a believer, I don't need to stress about it because God's got it. So I take it to God. I remind myself, don't be anxious. Take my fears, my worries, all that. Give it to God through prayer. Through prayer. Deep, heartfelt prayer. Right? Deep, heartfelt prayer. And when I do that, I'm reminded that in all things, like I said, God's will will be done. God's perfect will that far surpasses my fleshly wants, desires, what I think I need, my worries, that will be accomplished. 
when I can dwell on the fact that God is in control, I find peace. And that is the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or understanding because it definitely doesn't come from me. When I get that peace, it is very apparent that that is not me. Let's look on to verse 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, anything worthy of praise, what do we do? We dwell on that, right? Dwell on these things. Don't dwell on the negative. Don't dwell on the worldly, the problems of this world, which is really easy to do, right? Flip on the TV, look at anything, the new, whatever. It is bad, right? And oftentimes I find myself and I hear other Christians in conversation really dwelling about how bad things have gotten and really dwelling on the negative that we see in this world. But Paul says here, he doesn't say, look for the problems and spend time talking about the world. He says, we're to dwell on whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, things of good repute, excellence, anything worthy of praise. doesn't say focus on sin and sinfulness. He doesn't say focus on the bad. No, he says the opposite. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about that junk, right? Focus on the good. And then verse 9, he goes on and says, Things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will get or will be with you. Paul says, Follow his example to practice the things which they have learned and received and heard and seen in him. And if they do that, the God of peace will be with them, and God of peace will be with you. Right? He says, Do these things that you've seen me do, that you've heard me teach, that you've actually seen me do, do these things. The God of peace will be with you. And then God, Paul goes on to talk about different circumstances and how we have peace in them. In verse 10, it says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. The Philippians had revived their concern for Paul. He says, you, you've had concern for me. It's been revived. He says, and I rejoice in the Lord greatly because of that. And then in verse 11, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Content. Paul says that he's learned to be content in whatever circumstances he faces. The word content has the idea of being satisfied, independent of any external circumstances. Okay? So being content, being satisfied, independent of any external circumstances. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. He uses the word learn there, right? It's not natural for us to be content. He has learned to be content. It is something that we work to achieve and we put work in to do. And then verse 12, I know, I know how to get along with humble means 
and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Humble means and prosperity. Paul shows in both situations that he can be successful, specific to the work of the Lord. Right? We see these are two opposite circumstances, and Paul says no matter which one he finds himself in, he can successfully do the Lord's work. He's humble means. And in prosperity. One note I take from that too is being of humble means, as we see here, does not mean God doesn't love you. Having you feeling like you're going without here at the definition the world's definition of riches, right? If we that does not mean that God doesn't love you, and it does not mean you are out of fellowship or being disciplined for anything in the same way. Prosperity does not mean that you're in fellowship or have extra favor with God. Those things have nothing to do with where you're at. They're all worldly measures of success and in no way align with God's will. No matter what you may hear, whether you listen and hear someone talk about the prosperity gospel, the idea that if you serve God, you will be wealthy and have more, according to what the world says is good, is nowhere near biblically accurate. And we see here, Paul says, I can be successful regardless of what I have. Whether I go without or whether I have much, that does not have any effect on how effective I can be. And in fact, Jesus was pretty clear that you should actually expect to suffer for his name, right? He says it, expect to suffer. He wouldn't say that if you should expect to have riches and wealth and all of these things because you are a follower of Christ. And then seeing in verse 12, Right? I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Then what's he say? It's a famous verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says he can do all things through him, Jesus, who gives him strength. Jesus is what's important there, right? Not what we have, not what we don't have, all things can be done through Jesus who gives us our strength. We're going to stop there as far as this passage goes. There's some other stuff there that's really good in 14 through the end of chapter 4. But I wanted to look at those, that, that our citizenship, where it lies. I wanted to look at how we should deal with feelings of anxiousness, look at how we are to serve Christ in all things, whether whatever we have or have not. And so we'll look at some application I think I have down on those those worksheets if you got them. Application one, I say, let us understand that our citizenship is in heaven. Everything stems from that, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And then we need to remember to rejoice in the Lord always. In all circumstances, rejoice in the Lord always. Remember, we are to make our gentle spirit known, our gentle spirit known. Act in such a way that others see your gentle spirit. Let us remember to take our worries to the Lord, as Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, and dwell on the good. Don't focus on the bad. Don't focus on the negative. Dwell on the good. 